This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. God, we praise you. God, we love you. You are so good and so kind. God, we pray that as we move now into a time of of hearing from you and hearing from Pastor Glenn, Father, I pray that you bless him and be with him. God, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds, Father, to hear from you today. Speak through Glenn. God, allow it to be your words, Father. Change our hearts and our minds. We love you. It's your holy name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. morning church how you doing today it's good to be back here thank you brother Chris it's good to be back with you to my home church uh, since being away for seven weeks on sabbatical and that was a new experience for me gave me lots of time to rest which was much needed gave me time to connect with family and friends and all importantly to be alone with God and just really listen to what he wanted to do with me. To on, guys. Okay. All right. There we go. Um, it was interesting coming back in after being away for that long from you all. Like half the summer's gone, and uh, it's just uh, the welcome center. I think tried to give me a bag, you know, as a visitor, <laughs> and I said, no, I actually I work here, you know. But uh, it, it's great to reconnect with you all. And uh, my time away went very fast. You know, it's like being on a vacation. You know, it goes super fast. And uh, even though I'd slowed way down, it sounds weird, but that's kind of what happened. And uh, a lot of people have asked, um, where did you go on your sabbatical? But it's, uh, you know, it wasn't a vacation, really. Um, it was a journey. And uh, my wife and I did travel a little bit locally couple days here and there, but we rested a lot. And, uh, um, but I'd ask God to take me on a personal journey during my sabbatical. Um, it wasn't an easy journey, but it was one that I knew I had to take. It was literally, to be honest with you, um, a journey to the valley of the shadow of death. And um, I invited the Lord to like open me wide open and just examine all my heart, my mind, and my soul. <clears throat> and uh, I'll share a lot of personal things today. Um, it'll be kind of raw, kind of vulnerable. Um, I'll share a lot more with my D groups and the pastors, but I'll give you enough that I think God will bring glory um, from my story and my time off that will be helpful to you as well. We're going to be in Psalm 34 today, but before we turn there, I just wanted to say this to you. Um, The words that David wrote in Psalm 23 uh, are true. Um, The Lord Jesus is our good shepherd. Um, He wants to lead us to green pastures and quiet waters and still waters. He wants us to have times and seasons of rest. And man, did I need it. Um, He will restore you. He will renew our lives. And He'll lead us along the right paths. But focus for a moment on just Psalm 23, 4. 
Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Notice that the word does not say, if I go through the darkest valley. It says, even when I go into that valley. You see, many times that means that you may have to go through a valley that you had no choice of. You didn't ask for it or sign up for it. Life will throw you curveballs, right? That you didn't expect. Um, sudden losses come your way. Loss of life, loss of job, loss of loved ones, loss of position, loss of finances, you name it. But in my case, I asked the Lord to take me to the very core of my pain. It was a tough journey. I trusted Him to not leave me. I trusted Him to not abandon me on the journey. And I can testify that my Lord is faithful. He walked with me every inch of the way. I had a, <clears throat> I'd lost a lot of my joy. Um, because I had not properly grieved my losses. I, I pushed my feelings down to try to be strong for others. Others I was ministering to or family I was trying to support. And over the last decade, I kind of did some math. I counted it up. Um, over the last 10 to 15 years, I guess, just guessing over 50 funerals that I've either played the piano for, attended, or officiated. And maybe that doesn't sound like a whole lot for a pastor because it's part of what we do in ministry. But some of them were very close brothers and sisters. And so to be able to keep going, you just kind of grieve for a little bit and then you move forward. Um, in fact, a counselor told me years ago that I had over a decade of losses that I had to work through. He said at some point, you can't keep them all in the same bag and just grieve once and move forward. You've got to pull them each out individually. And that's what I did on my sabbatical. I identified about 12 to 15 painful losses and took time to grieve through that. Bob Kellerman, a well-known counselor that came from this area, has written some fantastic books. He says, grief clouds our eye, causing cataracts of doubt about who God is and who we are. To experience hope in grief, we must see God in Christ as our compassionate soul physician. You see, in grief, church, we, we tend to view God through the lens of our loss. And we kind of get stuck there sometimes. But Christ invites us to view the Father through the lens of the cross. And He heals us and He restores us because He loves and He values His children. You see, church, in this life, the scars from your pain and your wounds may not go away this side of heaven, but either will the scars in the hands and the feet of our Savior. He understands. He cares. And He's always there for us. Faith acknowledges that God feels our pain, joins in our pain, and even shares in our pain. And it's in the sharing of our pain and sorrow that makes our sorrow endurable. 
Because you see, faith does not demand the removal of suffering. Faith desires endurance in suffering, temptations, and persecutions to help us get through. Man, a long time ago, Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, God's love is an ocean without shores or bottom. God's love is boundless. See, God does not simply love. He is love. And perhaps you can relate a little bit to this next observation that I have for you. When multiple losses and stressors come your way, especially us men, we tend to get really busy. (laughs) We do more things than we were doing before just because we don't want to deal with the pain. And we just press on and move and push through it. But what that does is creates a stack of pain on top of more pain. And eventually it all begins to overwhelm you. And you begin to spiral out of control internally and emotionally. It's called compounding. Where you pile one loss on top of the other. And it causes each loss to look bigger and greater than what it actually is. And when this happens, we have to get to the root of the problem. And while on sabbatical, that's where I went. I had to find things that I thought I was healed from. Why is it coming back again? What's the root? Where's this pain coming from? So while I was away, I took myself through all 13 sessions of grief share, which helped me immensely. I read over a dozen books on grief and abuse recovery. I read through all the Psalms, some of them more than once. I took long walks in the woods and sat and listened to God. And I rested a lot. I cried out a lot. I journaled a lot. I reconnected with my wife and family. I spent time with my grandkids. Time that I didn't have before. I got to see um, my newest, uh, sorry, my newest grandson get dedicated online from California, but I got to see it. But then a couple weeks later, I got to see my great nephew and great niece get baptized, and I was able to be there publicly and personally see them be baptized for their profession of faith. And it was a special moment for us because I had dedicated him as a baby. And it was just awesome to see his steps and their steps of faith growth. And of all the Scripture that I read while I was away, the one that spoke the most to me was where we're going this morning. That's Psalm 34, if you want to turn there. This psalm is considered to have been written by David after he escaped from the Philistines in Gath. And David had fled there to escape from King Saul. And he was afraid for his life, and he was afraid the Philistines would seek revenge for their fallen hero. And so David pretended to be insane. And he was driven away by King Abimelech. So when David was sent away, he fled back into the the desert and wilderness area, and he hid in a cave. But as you read through Psalms, evidently he got into this place of safety and it appears that he began to reflect on what took place in his life. And perhaps in in our day and time, we would say that he might have said something like, what a fool I've made of myself. 
Why didn't I just trust God? How did I end up in this cave? And that's a question I want us to ask each other today. Why don't we trust God? (laughs) Why don't we trust the Lord more in our fearful situations? We do all these things to work ourselves out of situations, don't we? That we find ourselves in. And we would be better off if up front we simply just trusted the Lord. David came to realize that as much as he feared King Abimelech and the power that he possessed, he realized he feared God because he was more powerful. And as David comes to his senses, we'll see several things as we look at Psalm 34 this morning. First of all, we see that God is to be praised. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt His name together. David was saying we must worship God at all times. In all circumstances. To boast in the Lord. To proclaim, to exalt, to magnify the Lord. And whenever we magnify something, we make it larger or greater And that was David's real heart. He desired to make God greater in the eyes of those around him. But as we read on, we see secondly that God will answer and rescue us. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Isn't it good to know, church, that if we seek Him, He will answer us? Do you you understand that? That God Almighty hears us and answers us. And He will rescue us from our fears. What is it that you're fearful of today? Some of you might be afraid to even ask the question of what I'm afraid of, what I'm afraid of, right? Because fear is a terrible thing. It cripples us. It paralyzes us. It imprisons our soul. It affects our actions, our decisions, our relationships. It keeps us in bondage. Even when Scripture as believers makes it very clear to us that we are free, we still feel like we're in bondage. John Stott wrote these words, Truth becomes hard if not softened by love. And love becomes soft when not strengthened by truth. We need a balance of both. Truth with love silences fears and temptations and fears and lies. We need to replace our fear with faith. And as your faith increases, begin to please God more than pleasing people. See, as if you don't know this, you'll find out now, as an abuse survivor, we long to be loved, accepted, and included. But we are fearful that we won't be. And we struggle with whether we even should be. That's what happens internally for those who have been abused. But during my sabbatical, I read this from Dane Ortland. has some tremendous books by him. 
that spoke to me so strongly. It says this, as the, as the gospel becomes more real to us, the need for human approval loses its grips on our hearts because we no longer are medicating our sense of worth with human approval. Man, is that rich, right? If we're counting on human approval for our self-worth, we're doomed for failure and let down. And it's going to lead to despair. It's going to lead to depression. Because people will always criticize. They will always hurt. They will always let you down. And we will do the same thing. We will never meet everyone's expectations or demands. And we will burn ourselves out trying to do so. But God the Father will never do that. And that is where and that is whom we should be seeking our value and worth from, not from the people around you. D.A. Carson says this, people do not drift towards holiness. We drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. And we drift toward superstition and call it faith. Church, real faith does not insulate you from pain, but it does sustain you. And as you experience losses in your life and pain in your life, grief especially exposes the gap between what I call your formal theology and your functional theology. What in the world is that? It's the gap between what you, believe, what you say you believe and what you actually live out. And something I've found, and I'll share this with you, is grace only becomes very real to you when you begin to realize all the things that grace actually covers. Paul Tripp writes, we don't live life based on the facts of our experience, but we live life based on our interpretation of the facts. So not only do we need the true facts of our pain, but we must interpret them correctly through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of the cross, not through just the pain. And as we sort out all these facts, the Spirit will guide us and lead us to healing in a place of forgiveness and repentance. See, church, forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. If we're being real with each other this morning, a lot of times we don't feel like forgiving someone, do we? especially if you've been hurt deeply. But it's a choice. And it releases things inside of you. It releases others to the Lord. It doesn't mean you condone what the person may have done to you or even that you will ever trust that person again. But when we forgive like God forgives, we cease playing God. And we begin to entrust ourselves, whatever the situation is, and those responsible for one's pain, and we give it to an all-powerful, all-knowing, and righteous judge. So as we read on, we see thirdly that God is our source of joy. I just want to reread verse 5. Those who look to Him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. Man, I want that joy in my life. How about you? Do you want some more joy? I'm, I'm still in my restoration journey. God, God took me apart and laid me out in pieces, man. 
feeling like an old car, you know, and all the parts are spread out, and then he put it all the back. I, I probably have a couple nuts and screws loose, you know, <laughs> but I'm still being sanctified. I'm still being restored. So a little grace, because I'm still a little bit raw coming out of this journey. My sabbatical is over, but my journey is not. But I know who's in charge of that journey. God is still rebuilding and restoring my soul. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not going to put some plastic face on and act like some happy, joy-filled guy all the time because I'm not there yet. I want it. I want that joy and it's coming back. And I know why I have the joy. I don't question that. But I've gotten stuck. See, grief and abuse is not something you just get over. Keep that in mind as you speak to others who are in grieving or in loss of this kind of magnitude that I'm speaking of today. Telling them things like, why don't you just snap out of it? It's been enough time, just get over it. That doesn't help at all. In fact, it sets the person back several paces. And I've experienced that, and it's very insensitive, really, to the one who is grieving. You see, for those who are going through loss, you have to live it, you have to move through it, which is a journey in itself, and then you have to be able to live again victoriously and be enriched by the relationship or the experience that you were brought through. Because we've been lied to when someone says, just get over it. We've been lied to when my ears heard, time heals all wounds. Time does not heal. It's a lie. My abuse happened 55 years ago. Only the timeless one can heal. And that's Jesus Christ. How can we get that joy then that David's talking about? This is one of my favorite verses. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, how happy is the person who takes refuge in Him? So here we see God is our refuge. I read a book called The Wounded Heart that said the best path for healing from abuse is through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to bring our wounded heart to God. And God will show Himself faithful, and He did just that for me. He never left me when I was fearful of taking this journey. He didn't leave me there either when everything was ripped open. And He led me back out of that valley the last couple weeks of my sabbatical and back to life again. Where I can feel like I can sincerely worship again and pray again and share hope with others again. To use my story, to use it for God's glory. He exposed the lies that my ears had heard. He showed me things I need to let go of. He showed me things that I need to pay attention to. He affirmed that Jesus truly is enough. Because nothing else is going to remove your pain. It's not. God's love must not just be heard seen and known about it must be tasted taste and see what the lord that the lord is good we cannot go out and attain his love we cannot work for it 
to receive His fullness, we must receive it. We have to open up our fists and open our eyes and our hands and lift them upward to receive love. We experience God's love as we look more at Christ. And God will pour out His Spirit into us and fill us back with Him and with joy and with love. One of the hardest things for us who have been abused is to trust anybody again and to receive love from anyone. It's because we've built up so many walls around us to protect our wounds. And if you've been abused in any way or hurt deeply by someone, the natural tendency, the natural defense mechanism that kicks in is to make some commitment to yourself to never be hurt again. And so we build these walls up. And it creates this hard, inflexible exterior. But deep inside, it's leaning only to loneliness. It's, it's weird to try to explain it. This defensive armor that we actually put on to help soften the pain actually added more pain to the soul. So it's crazy that the protection against more pain actually intensified the very pain that it was supposed to protect and decrease. And when that happens, one begins to trust in their own strength to protect the moment in their past to which they were powerless. And we find ways to never lose that control again so we don't have to feel the pain again of being powerless. God, help me see that. But church, numbing your pain or ignoring it does not remove it. Keeping busy and on the go so you don't have to think about it does not work either. It only postpones it and it makes it worse to deal with later. One of the things I discovered in this journey was that it's been proven that it, at least six, it takes at least six to nine months and I kind of knew this, and I think the numbers are actually a little low, to be honest with you. But it takes about six to nine months for the heart to accept what the eyes have seen and experienced. And the more unexpected or the more graphic or the more tragic a death or event or abuse is, the longer it takes to process that. And then if you're one like myself that had multiple losses, multiple tragedies and abuse, you do the math to that. It adds up very quickly. I can't even give you a number. <laughs> Yet your boss might say, well, take a couple of days off and then come on back in the work, right? As if a few days is going to return things to normal. Guys, there is no normal anymore when this happens. It's only the new normal that you have to learn to adjust to and live so you can go forward. But here is some good news I want to share with you this morning. Hear this loud and clear, church. Take it from me with love from one who's experienced this, okay? You may have endured some kind of pain involuntarily. You didn't ask for it. It happened. But Christ endured pain for you and me voluntarily. Don't just take my word for it. Taste and see that the Lord is good for yourself. 
When we look at verse 9, we see that we're to fear the Lord. You who are His holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear Him lack nothing. This is a reverent awe. This is worship of God Almighty. David goes on to say that those who fear God will lack nothing. Well, you may not get everything you want, okay? But you're going to get what you need. You're not going to lack from what you need. And we'll jump down to 13 and 14. It warns here about our tongue and our speech. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil. Do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. This is so important. I know Pastor Matt last week, I saw it online, he spoke about this. He spoke about language, remember? What we say to others around us can either build us up, build people up, or tear them down. And what we say to ourselves is just as powerful or destructive. Church, you know this if you're a believer in Christ. Satan is a liar. And if you're not a believer, maybe this is the first time you've heard it. Satan is a liar. He's the father of all lies. He'll take anything that looks like truth and just twist it a little bit, making it a lie. He wants to destroy you and your family and your ministry. So we have to learn to control our tongues. How do we do that? It's by the renewing of our mind. We've got to get in the Word and renew our mind. We've got to take our thoughts captive. We have to think before we speak to others and to ourselves. And then as we look on in verse 15 and following, we see the Lord has His eyes on you. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord has His eyes on you. His ears are open to you. This is so important. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He hears our cries. Man, when I laid it all out these last couple weeks, sometimes very softly, and sometimes it was loud and ugly. It was nasty. Sometimes it was just groaning as the pain started to come out. Because I cried out to Him and I said, God, I see it now. I see why this journey had to happen. And I, I said, yank it out by the roots this time. Get all of it out. Not just part of it. Don't clip the top off of a dandelion and leave the root. Get it all. Because I never want to go back here again to this place. The Lord will hear you and He will rescue you. And look at verse 18. This, this was my key verse for the sabbatical. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. In our pain, Jesus is pained. He feels our suffering as His own, even though it isn't. And what I've discovered is that the deeper the pain, the deeper we actually go into the heart of Christ. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. As a believer, we are defined by Christ, not by this world. 
or not by whatever this world has done to you. Because remember, our sanctification is in God's timeline, not ours. If we humble ourselves, if we empty ourselves before the Lord, He will be near to us. But if we act like we're the one in control and we only go to God when we can't handle it or can't solve it anymore, that's not the relationship that David's talking about here. God wants a humble spirit, not one that's proud and boasting about what you've done. He's near the humble and broken to care for, to carry the burden, to heal the wound, and to free the chains that bind us. And as we surrender our will to His will, God will take us many times where we do not want to go in order to produce in us what we could not achieve on our own. And when we don't allow Him to take us there, we're stifling the work that He wants to do in and through us. Dane Ortland writes this, the way forward will sometimes feel like you're going backwards. <laughs> Anybody been there? Fullness can only be had through emptiness. We have to empty of ourself so God can fill us up. And he goes on to say, salvation is not assistance, it is rescue. It is not enhancing, it is resurrecting, bringing life from death. And speaking of rescue, let's read on to verse 19 and 20. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. David is saying here that he protects our bones and none will be broken. We see this lived out in the life of Jesus. Many times bones that are mentioned in the Old Testament are symbols of physical affliction or oppression of some kind. But in John's Gospel, we won't turn there, but it'll be on the screens, hopefully. John 19, verses 33 and 36, we see here that this was lived out and fulfilled in the life of Jesus on the cross because verse 33 says that when they came to Jesus, they did not break His legs since they saw He was already dead. And just a few verses over in verse 36, for these things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of His bones will be broken. So Christ has fulfilled this. And then David continues to proclaim that one day is coming when evil will be punished. Look at the last two verses with me. Verse uh, 21 and 2. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of His servants, and all who take refuge in Him will not be punished. We who believe in the Gospel of Jesus Christ are safe in the arms of Christ. For the evil and the unbelieving, He will be the judge. But for those of us who believe, He is a Savior. Do you believe the day that Jesus loves you? I hope so. He loved you so much that He died for you on the cross, died with your sins and mine attached to Him as a substitution for the penalty of death that we owed and we should have done because of our sin. His scars, His wounds are ours on that cross. But he was buried and rose the third day. And he promises to come back for his children. And if there's anyone here that that's the first time you've heard that or you still are questioning that, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Or someone in the chair beside you could probably share the love of Christ with you. That's the Gospel. 
So as I wind down here today, I noticed as I was watching online with, uh, with Barbara that over the last month, I think all three of us pastors, now me including that in my sermon, we've all mentioned in a sermon the illustration of peeling back an onion, right? And you peel those things back and you're like, oh, that feels better. And they're like, oh, what's that? So you peel that one back and you're like, oh, there's more. And you think you're getting close, but there's more layers. And sometimes we go, well, let's put those back. I don't want to go there. But you have to. That's what the Lord did with me. He peeled that thing wide open. Today I'm asking you, would you allow the Lord to do this with you? Would you allow Him to enter into each room of your life? Would you allow Him to go into your deepest pain and bring you healing? You see, there, there's so many things I came away with, and I've journaled a ton in my time alone with the Lord. And the Lord has showed me what I need to be mindful of to stay healthy. I got a lot of physical things I got to take care of emotionally, spiritually. I don't have time to list them all out. But I, I would ask that maybe you would start today with saying a prayer that I began my sabbatical with, and I've been praying ever since. And it goes like this, Lord, meet me where I am. Not where I think I am or where I pretend to be, but where I am. You see, what I was looking for going into my sabbatical was rest, yes, and I got that, and I'm thankful for the time off to do that. But I was going into the sabbatical looking for answers and explanations for why this pain was resurfacing when I thought it was all gone. But instead, what God showed me in the valley of the shadow of death was not explanation, but revelation of what God has done for me and His greatness and goodness. He showed me once again that I am loved and I am a child of God, adopted, accepted, and secure in the hands of the King of kings and Lord of lords. My God has promised to meet every one of my needs and yours too. And that He's right here with us today. Grief and surviving abuse and torture is no longer my identity or my excuse for not having joy. These are definitely things I experience, but they are no longer going to be my prison. They don't define me anymore. Jesus Christ defines me. And if you continue to insist with God to know why to everything that happens to you. It actually erodes your faith rather than build it up. Now hear me clear. It, it's okay to ask God why. But you can't get stuck there. Because sometimes He's not going to answer those questions on this side of heaven. And you have to trust. There's the word again. You have to trust Him if you don't have those answers. So as the worship team comes back up to close us out with a song today, let me give you a gospel response, a couple gospel responses, but let me just review quickly what I've taught this morning from Psalm 34. God is to be praised. He will answer and rescue us. God is our source of joy and refuge and deliver. And remember verse 14. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. 
God met me where I needed Him most this time off. He will do the same for you. Are you brokenhearted today? Are you crushed in your spirit? Is there pain throbbing inside of you that you can't get rid of? If that's the case, I'm going to be over here on this side. I would love to pray with you and pray for you. Or seek me out later. Or any of the other pastors and leaders here. So let me give you three gospel responses. Number one, will you allow God to meet you where you are right now, today? Not where you think you are, not where you pretend to be, but right where you are truly today. Will you allow Him into your pain? Will you surrender, secondly, your control to the One who is in control? And thirdly, will you give your hurt and wound and pain to the only One who understands and can heal your pain. Let me pray for us. Father, we desperately need You this morning. We cry out to You, our healer, our rescuer, our only hope for this world. Lord, take our pain. Heal us. Restore us. Replace our fear with faith. God, would you replace our brokenness with wholeness that only comes from you? And would you give us peace, God? Peace where there's chaos in our lives. Give us love where there might be hatred and anger. Lord, you and you alone are all we need. Would you hear our prayers as you promised to do as we surrender to you this morning? It's in the name and the power of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Let's worship.
questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.